You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. We hear a lot about the war on women. Usually people are talking about the removal of abortion access in various states. Well, Father Tim Grumbach is with me today, and we're going to be talking really about the war on women, uh, the challenge for holiness among women today, and how this has really led to a decline in men even being interested in women. So we'll be talking about the American Music Awards, uh, some shocking performances. We'll be talking a little bit about some of the Game of Thrones stars and kind of their tell-all after the show and how they felt about the very scenes they engaged in. And we'll be talking about venerable soon-to-be Saint Fulton Sheen. With me today is Father Tim Grumbach, whom you know very well. Father Tim, it's been a little while. What's going on in your land? Oh my gosh, that just the parish life is catching up and it's uh, been a real blessing because it's easy to look beyond uh, what's happening in the building and what's happening in the office and and try to run away a little bit. But uh, (laughs) God has kept me very close to the people and the people very close to me in uh, in good ways and negative ways and uh, just his grace flowing through it all and so it's really a joy to be able to come back down here after almost a couple months it feels like I yeah. haven't been in studio with you so this it's, is a joy to be back it's been a while you could tell father Tim was missing it because he'd be like sending me things about the show every now and again he's like yeah I can't wait to get back in studio <laughs> We have so much to talk about, and you'll have to bear with me because I am battling like two sinus infections this month that have been absolutely ridiculous. But I also kind of feel like that's the theme of November in many ways. We're getting ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas and all of the joy of the season, but also the busyness. Like, I think there's a reason that November 1st, we already have Christmas trees set up because it's a reminder of how busy the rest of the year is going to be. Yeah, we have an announcement at the parish. We're selling Christmas cards and literally an announcement and it says, you know, it's not even Thanksgiving yet, but get into the Christmas spirit. I'm like, oh, come on. We in the church should know better than this. But uh, but we've done well, you know, getting people prepared. And uh, we need an advent for advent, I think. My challenge for myself this year is instead of sending Christmas cards during advent, I'm going to send them right on time, have them all written ahead of time so that I can send them during the Christmas season because it's not just, not just Christmas Day. Yeah, well, everyone knows that, you know, that you're going to get your, your Grumbach Christmas card from my family the day after Thanksgiving. And so that's coming up real quick. (laughs) That is awesome. I love it. Well, we are going to go ahead and slide into this first topic here. And that is that Venerable Fulton Sheen is officially going to be a saint as of December 21st. Well, he's going to be a blessed. So he will um, not be a saint for some time now, but uh, yeah, we're getting, but it's really looking like it'll be that, that will be the case within a couple of years, maybe a few years, but this is a very important step forward. Okay. I'm so glad you corrected me there because it's funny because I was thinking earlier in the year, like, I thought there was so long ways to go. And then I see this announcement. Oh, he's going to be a saint. My faux pas here. See, I'm telling you, I told Father Tim before the show, I am not with it right now. So you got to correct these things that we have going on uh, that we're discussing. But I want to talk about um, a really important topic having to do with Blessed Fulton Sheen. And that is so many of the comments he makes about women. We'll be coming to that in a second. For those who aren't really familiar with 
venerable Fulton Sheen. He's going to be named Blessed on the year, the 100th anniversary of his ordination. He was ordained in 1919 in Peoria in the... Beatification will actually take place at the Cathedral of St. Mary's of the Immaculate Conception there in Peoria, where he actually became a priest. Yeah, what a gift that it will be there in Peoria in what could be considered a smaller part of the country. And his background is really, you know, working on farms and and learning a great work ethic and a a faith life and an honest and humble prayer from his family. And so, you know, there was a lot of controversy about where his body would be buried, where these uh, ceremonies would be taking place. And now that that's finally been, you know, come to a conclusion and they've figured all that part of it out, it looks like it's going to be in Peoria and uh, it'll be such a great gift for that community. Um, So it's kind of between there and and New York City. Um, But to have it in a place that it really just speaks about who he is on the inside and his own self-understanding as somebody who, as a sinner in need of mercy, uh, learned how to be honest in his faith by learning how to work hard on the farms. And even though it was something he, you know, he says he hated when he was younger, it was something that formed him who, uh, who he was. And so what a gift that they'll be able to celebrate that right there in his home. Well, and when we look at him, for those who were not living during that era, he spent many years on national television at a time when, you know, the number of channels and shows that you could watch were limited. And he had an audience of millions throughout his series called Life is Worth Living, which I have absolutely loved pulling up on YouTube and watching one episode after another. He's so passionate, blunt, clear, and full of really the love of God and the joy of evangelization. And the gift of Archbishop Fulton Sheen was that he was such a prominent figure in the media. And we have kind of separated ourselves in so many ways as Catholics in the media. We speak of you know, Catholic Twitter, Catholic YouTube, Catholic <laughs> social media, uh, you know, Catholic media. But um, Fulton Sheen was not separated in that way. He was getting higher uh, ratings than some of the top figures in the, in all of the media at the time. Yeah. And so he wasn't just this great Catholic figure. He was a great figure for, you know, for the whole United States, for the world to understand, right, life is worth living, but um, to get this great image of the Catholic Church as well. You want to live a happy life. You want to live a life with a good marriage. You want to live uh, how to show love in our culture. These are all fundamental things that appeal to human nature that he spoke about. Now, I want to dive into some of his awesome quotes, which we'll really be discussing throughout the theme of today's show, because we're going to be talking a lot about, I would say, this war on women that isn't discussed, whether we're talking about the Me Too movement, parts of the Me Too movement that aren't covered very often, the one of the Games of Thrones stars ended up really giving this tell-all after the show ended. And it breaks my heart hearing these stories about her sitting alone in the bathroom crying while on set. We'll be diving into that. But it reminds me of some of what Bishop Venerable Bishop Sheen said. He talks about this one quote that you may have seen posted very commonly on Instagram in the Catholic world now, where it says, when a man loves a woman, he has to become worthy of her. And it basically talks about the greater her virtue, the more noble she is, the stronger her character as she pursues truth, justice, goodness. Um, The person who is aspiring to be with her really has to aspire to be worthy of her. And I look at what's going on in our culture right now, and it's really led women to not be aspired to. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward that we can 
during this episode to dive more deeply into this, the, the gift of woman. You know, this was something that was a very important part of the uh, pontificate of John Paul II right. uh, through the theology of the body and the mulieris dignitatum, the dignity of woman and the gift of woman and how men can learn from women how to become self-gift because that's the only way that we can discover who we are is by giving ourselves away. And so, you know, b- before um, John Paul II's theology of the body was really coming into the church in such a powerful way, we had voices like Fulton Sheen reminding of this uh, as well and kind of preparing hearts for that great teaching to recognize the way that the, the you know, as women go, so goes the church, mm-hmm. that um, we may have the question of an all-male priesthood and what is the role of women in the church. And this is a discussion that's you know never going to go away. It's always very important. But that at that time he was pointing it out that this is this is an important question to ask is how do we understand the dignity of women and how is this going to help the church move forward in a faithful way? We're going to be talking a little later on about how sacrifices are a fundamental part of who women are. Before we dive into that in the next segment, I want to talk about a quote Father Tim and I both discovered about six months or so ago when reading an ex- not a it was an apostolic letter from one of the bishops um, in Arizona, Bishop Olmstead. Bishop Olmstead, and he quoted Fulton Sheen, and he was talking about this idea of. So many things are half done in our culture. And he ended up talking about how there are a lot of half crucified souls. And I'm paraphrasing who essentially have come down from the cross after one hour on the cross, after two hours on the cross, after two hours and 59 minutes, they're not completing things. And he talks about how Christians are called to complete things the same as Christ way as Christ completed things. Yeah. And this goes all the way back to the beginning of scripture. It's one of my favorite moments in all of the Old Testament is right there at the beginning when the first woman is created from the side of Adam. You know, it, the, the word plays are amazing. You know, first you have Adam, you know, Adam, the man is made from Adama, from the dust of the earth. And from his side, Bana is built the woman, not formed, not created, but built up. It's the same word that's used for temples and altars and cities. And so the woman is created and built up to be this place of sacrifice, to be this, this place that's almost like an altar and a place where God dwells uniquely in the world and a place where families are formed up. And so um, looking at the, the theology, the preaching, the teaching of Fulton Sheen and the church's love for the dignity of women, we have a lot to talk about and it's it's all beautiful. It's so full of the truth of what we're called to as men and women and why when we get it wrong, what happens? Not only are women really, a war has broken out on women, but at the same time, a war on men. Men are no longer challenged to aspire to be worthy of the beauty of women in our culture. A major thank you and shout out to our sponsors. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical medical expenses. You choose a doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. You can learn more about Solidarity at Radiotrending.com as well. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram. You can find me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Again, that's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. We'll be back on Trending in just a little bit, talking more about the American Music Awards. 
Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. We're back. I'm here with Father Tim Grumbach, who is the associate pastor at St. Augustine Parish in the Los Angeles Diocese. He is always an excellent guest here with us on Trending. We missed him over the last couple of months. He's been a little too busy for us, Father. It's good to be back, though. It's always good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And Father Tim is involved in so many ministries, not only in the L.A. Diocese, but even with Life Teen. Are you traveling to Life Teen this upcoming summer? This upcoming summer, I'll be in Big Bear. And so I I was in Texas last summer. Summer. They uh, put me on a plane and sent me somewhere else, but uh, they're keeping me close to home this time, which I'm really excited about. I love traveling, a little bit of a wanderlust there, but the, the gift that I'll be able to, you know, this is my home camp pretty much, even right. though it's only been happening for, I think this is year four or five. I should know. I've been to just about each and every one, but that this year I'll be able to uh, be hosting the camp. So I won't be just the priest, you know. <laughs> hearing confessions, doing mass. Yeah. I'll get to do all of that, but I'll also be pretty much emceeing the week. And uh, this will be for the Life Teen, uh, the high schoolers uh, week up in Big Bear at the end of June. So um, let's really, you know, I'm really hoping and praying that the uh, the diocese around will be able to send more teens uh, to have that encounter with Christ up in Big Bear. And if you know any teenagers who you'd love to hang out with Father Tim this summer, you can learn more through Life Teen about their various camps and be sure to check out that camp up there in Big Bear. We're going to be talking today about Emily Clark, who is one of the actresses in Game of Thrones. Now, Father Tim, you sent this article over to me, and I'm really looking forward to talking about this in light of some of the quotes from Archbishop Fulton Sheen, Venerable Fulton Sheen, because this broke my heart when I had it heard it, and it really touches on, again, this war on women and this broken femininity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the powerful quotes that I came across about uh, from Fulton Sheen about the dignity of women is sometimes the difference between how men love and how women love. And one of the things that men do often will be they will look for reasons to love, while women will look for reasons to give of themselves. Mm. And, and so um, we're always trying to calculate things, perhaps, and, and looking for ways to fix things, while women, on the other hand, generally will be uh, looking for ways to, um, to be mothers, mm-hmm. um, to, to uh, receive life, to nurture it, and so to bear it out to the world. And uh, we're kind of seeing the opposite of that in in this situation, aren't we? Oh, my gosh, the complete opposite. You know, for those who have maybe read the books, watched the show, we've talked about it a decent amount here on Trending and some of the major problems with the entire outlook and really the plot line of Game of Thrones, which we're not going to dive deeper into for this episode because we really want to talk about Emilia Clarke's testimony where she ended up sharing in a recent tell-all how she couldn't say no when looking right in the face with a new script. She's a no-name actress. She really has the opportunity to play this incredible role for her, which is quite a big role. And she couldn't get herself to say no when suddenly she's confronted with this script and she gets it. There was a catch all along. She sees one new scene after another in her script for the very first show of Game of Thrones. Yeah, she even describes it as a, well, you know, with some explicit, you know, the, uh, a bleep ton of nudity. And to be able to look at a script and to describe it that way and the way that she describes how uncomfortable she was just looking at the script, but how she felt she still had to go through with this because, well, she didn't have a name. She couldn't make this work out for herself and and still be a part of the show. And, you know, the thing that 
drew my attention most to this article was her relationship with her co-star, Jason Momoa, who's become rather popular as well because of that. Right. And she says that um, he did really uh, support her, but I don't know the, the show that well, but I, I believe he was involved in most of those scenes in which she would have been nude and so explicitly so, but that she still says that he, you know, he did protect her in some way and, and try to support her without taking advantage of her and, and that he could use his voice a little bit to tell the, uh, the directors and the writers, like, not so much of this. Well, and he encouraged her, it sounded like, to reject some of it. You know, you don't have to do this. You do Mm -hmm. have a voice. You Mm -hmm. can say no. But what gets me, Father Tim, is that abuse really does feed abuse. She was Mm -hmm. being abused by the script. He was being abused by the script. They try to make it sound like, oh, it's okay. You know, you can say no. And she even makes it sound, Emily Clark, this one of the actresses in Game of Thrones, as if she did say no and put her foot down at times. Mm -hmm. But really, how much? You know, this is one of the questions I ask. This poor girl felt like she didn't have the right to say very much. She even says at one point that she didn't feel that she was worthy of requiring anything. Mm And while I said before that this is almost the opposite of the way that um, Fulton Sheen described the difference between men and women love, I would say maybe not opposite, but it's a distortion of it, is that women seeking to give of themselves, where men will look for reasons to love and they will love, and women will look for um, ways to give of themselves. This is something being taken from her. Yeah. And that's that's one of the most disturbing things about this. And you know, some people will defend uh, you know pornography and other explicit images in the sense of well she wanted it well you know otherwise she would have she could have just walked away and that's that's hideous to make that argument but to look at this and see that something was taken away from her and she recognized that and it was really disturbing her on the set and afterwards she could speak out about it somewhat strongly one could hope that maybe you know stronger voices will come out against this as well i completely agree that's father tim grumbach you're listening to trending with tim marie and looking at some of the quotes from fulton sheen it really really reminded me of emily clark's testimony here Fulton Sheen talks about how a woman's love makes, quote, a thousand small sacrifices, sprinkling them throughout the day and months. Their very repetition gives them the character of the commonplace. So what Fulton Sheen's saying is that it's fundamental, just a fundamental part of women to make sacrifices. In fact, they do it so often that it becomes commonplace. And I was thinking about this. Sometimes women allow themselves to be walked over a little bit. And this is one of the big, I think, complaints sometimes of the feminist movement speaking up is that they didn't want women to become doormats. And in some ways, in some areas, they were being treated as such. Unfortunately, the pendulum swung too far in one direction. But then it started to feed abuse such as this. People begin to think that new and pornography and contraception and abortion are an idea of really, you know, kind of making sacrifices and giving yourself and empowering you. But in reality, it's the wrong type of sacrifice. And I think that it's playing on the desire of the woman to make sacrifices that they're giving themselves like, okay, I'm not really worthy to ask for less nudity in this this scene. I'm not really worthy to ask to keep my job um, if I'm on maternity leave for six weeks. You know, women start to make these various um, quote unquote sacrifices, thinking themselves unworthy when it's the wrong type of sacrifice and it leads them to being abused. Yeah, I, I love that you're using that word sacrifice because so often we will kind of creating this binary sense, which could be overgeneralized, is that men sacrifice and women receive. Right. You know? um, but you know, both have to be able to do each of those. But to speak of the women as being able to sacrifice, 
as well. I mean, again, that comes that goes back to the creation of Eve and the creation story. And you know, sometimes we'll ask the wrong questions about that. Like, is that exactly how it happened? But it wasn't seeking to tell us how it happened so much as, as why it happened and tell us something deeply about who we are created as male and female. And that, again, the woman created from the side of Adam, not from above, not from below, but from the side. Different, but equal in dignity. And that she's created, you know, using the same word, built up like an altar. And that's what it means, is that a, a woman was created to be a place of sacrifice, to be able to make these daily sacrifices as mothers, biological or spiritual or both, in the sense that a, a woman who can make those sacrifices is living the way that God had created her. And sometimes we'll talk about how religion is a little easier for women than huh. men because women are used to the receptivity mm-hmm. element of how their body's created, um, even kind of the dependence on others from the fact that we're not as strong as men and we do need help with certain things. And so people say, because we've received so much as women, not putting us at any type of lower dignity, that we're more um, prone toward religion. And I think that it's because at the same time, it's easier for us to give in again this other side of the me too movement where hollywood has expected the actresses and actors in fact in game of thrones to give of their bodies to show nudity for it to be no big deal for these plot lines themselves to be abusive and manipulative it shows that we've gotten the sacrifice wrong and i think that that's where each of us can kind of turn in on ourselves for a moment and say okay if my whole life is meant to be a gift the same way the cross is What can I do to change how I'm interacting with the world around me? What false sense of sacrifice am I living out? I think sometimes we're so exhausted because we're trying to live a sacrificial life when some of the things we're doing aren't really sacrifices. And that kind of sacrifice of the human dignity um, through pornographic images and explicit nudity is, you're right, it's it's a counterfeit, a uh, a manipulation of the sacrifice that a, a woman is called to, women and men are called to. And it's diabolic is what it is. You know, when we look at the demonic, when we, when the diabolic, uh, that it cannot create, it is not creative, but all it can do is manipulate and counterfeit. And so, you know, this is what happens when you know, we can use the language of uh, effeminacy for men, right? Mm-hmm. There needs to be a, a, a femininity that men can tap into in a certain sense of that receptivity. But when it becomes a distortion of femininity, then it's a counterfeit. Uh, the same thing with the kind of sacrifice that women are called to in their motherhood, biological, spiritual, is that when it, it becomes a, a part of art that is denigrating to the woman as a human person and to the dignity with which she is created, that's counterfeit, that's manipulative, and that's diabolical. Let's talk for a second about spiritual motherhood because this is something a lot of people aren't necessarily familiar with. Did you know that all women are called to maternity? Now that may be a biological motherhood, but not all of us can have children. Uh, Not all of us are going to have children. Uh, Some aren't even going to marry. I mean, there's a reason that the religious life is an option for women. That means we don't have to have children if we do not marry. We could go on and on. But spiritual motherhood is this idea that we're called to nurture and feed and 
mother people that are younger than us, maybe even of a similar age at times, but the spiritual maternity is fundamental to the woman's vocation. It's written onto her body. And we look to our Blessed Mother for the example and to receive her, her heart, for her to give her heart to us and to see that she received the love of God. She literally nurtured it in her womb and then she bore it out to the world. And so every person is called to that spiritual motherhood in a sense, but also especially women to look to Mary uh, for their own spiritual motherhood. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I'm back with Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending. We're talking about this idea of this war on women. You hear about it because we're trying to get rid of abortion and people think that to not be able to have access to abortion means that women cannot, quote unquote, be equal in society. But we were just talking a little earlier about Emilia Clark and her role on Game of Thrones and her tell-all and the oppression that she really experienced and being expected to act in so many nude scenes throughout her career on the show. And how women are being led to believe that they're called to make sacrifices, but the wrong type of sacrifices, sacrifices that belittle and degrade them. Here to talk about this with me is Father Tim Grumbach. Yeah, this war on women is something that is uh, it's a distortion and it's a counterfeit. And it's a manipulation of the way that woman was created to be self-gift that throughout history, and we're seeing it even in something as familiar to us as Game of Thrones, that it's happening uh, It's happening today where instead of being able to become a self-gift, things are being taken away from women yeah. and they're being told, no, this is how you give of yourself. Yeah, and I want us to keep in mind this quote from a venerable Fulton Sheen, where he says, when a man loves a woman, he has to become worthy of her. And later on in that same quote, he talks about how the more a man has to aspire to be worthy of her, it elevates him and who he is as well. And, you know, in looking at some of these stories that we're talking about today, man, women are being challenged to not elevate themselves, to not be virtuous. You know, growing up, I danced. I still dance as much as I'm able to. And I'll never forget, especially during college, during grad school and after, I was constantly being targeted online with advertisements to donate my eggs because they expect, okay, dancers are going to be really healthy. They'll be able to donate their eggs. They'll have the healthier, you know, types of genes and so forth. The same time, I remember as I was finishing grad school, I started being targeted. Oh, do you have any student loan debt here? You can become a surrogate. You can donate your eggs. In fact, you can make $10,000 just in one round of donating your eggs. And if you do it multiple times, you can make $50,000. You could pay off most of your student loan debt. Yeah, so frighteningly, uh, a motherhood can become commodified and industrialized and sold away. And we're looking at how dangerous that is, not just for motherhood in general, but for individuals. Oh, it's heartbreaking. You know, I was thinking about this just yesterday as we were preparing for the show. The day I was getting married, there was a woman um, who we hired to do my hair for the wedding. And as she's sitting in my apartment doing my hair, remember my sister Gabby and I are sitting there and she's saying, oh, oh, hold on. And she has all these timers that keep going off as she's doing my hair. And finally, she ends up saying, sorry, I have to keep taking my pill. She said, I'm preparing to be a surrogate. And she was also donating her eggs as well to contribute to 
to this new human life that they were trying to create. And she was just doing it because she's living in Southern California. Life is expensive. Her and her husband are trying to make ends meet for her and her family. And this was a means to make more money. I share this story because I hear stories like this all the time that somehow very gently touch my life, but it shows how commonplace the selling of our own eggs and becoming a surrogate is in this culture. Yeah, and the way that it's being marketed as well as uh, <laughs> as a good deed, as helping those who cannot help themselves to do it in, in such a, a, a punchy and uh, entertaining way. Uh, some of the images that we're looking at, some of the advertisements that we're looking at, it has uh, you know uh, young, attractive women dressed up like bunny rabbits, yeah. almost like here you know here's an Easter surprise, bringing eggs. Uh, another image is uh, a little heart in an egg carton, as if a, a woman's ovaries are, are being compared to an egg carton of all things. We're looking at an article yeah. from Public Discourse written by a friend of mine, Molly Sheehan. Excellent, excellent mm -hmm. work, really talking about you know how these women are being targeted. I mean, continue to go through some of these images. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another one has an image of, of young Asian women, and the concern is that it's almost uh, fetishizing or making these women look like these are the attractive possibilities. And so, again, it's yeah. commodifying and industrializing not just motherhood in general, but these individuals. And it's, uh, it's, it's doing a great damage to our understanding of the dignity of women as mothers. It's been really interesting to me over the years to look at how surrogacy and the selling of eggs and the harvesting of women's eggs has really become so commonplace and it's become a business model here in the United States. But in other countries, that's not the case. In fact, even in the Western world, in the United Kingdom, they have much stricter surrogacy laws. I mean, we have other places as well that see this as problematic, India, Nepal, Thailand, where they're looking at surrogacy and they're recognizing it's exploiting women. In fact, it's targeting at times women of lower income. And so they've been very intentional in preventing the commodification, not just of the women, but of children that are being created through a contract immediately with the idea that they will have no right to a mother and a father, to their biological mother and father. And I know we've covered it here before on trending is looking at the ways that these uh, women have been caught up in you know different kinds of sex trafficking and, yes. and everything like that, that this is becoming a form of slavery, uh, not just for the children who will be sold away to other parents, but to the women, you know, sometimes uh, without their own consent, who are being caught up in this life and in this commodification of motherhood. It's heartbreaking. And when you look at the stories, when people go into, for example, surrogacy agreements, the health care of the woman who is carrying that child often does not end up being covered after the birth. And often because of surrogacy and because of sometimes the harvesting of eggs, there are many health complications that come along. I mean, just to mention some of the complications that come up with the harvesting of eggs, if you haven't seen the movie or documentary Exploitation, again, Exploitation, I highly recommend it. It came out about 10 years ago, but it talks about how women who go through the harvesting of eggs experience hyperstimulation of their ovaries because they're not just trying to release one egg the way a woman's body generally normally would during her regular cycle. Instead, they're trying to harvest 
10, 20, 30 eggs at once. This isn't how a woman's body works. And so they're putting her body through extreme trauma. Again, hyperstimulation, sometimes uh, loss of your ovary, sometimes infertility issues, sometimes risk of stroke and cancer. I could go on and on with the risks. This is how women are left when they think, oh, it's easy, just $10,000 quick and easy to obtain. Mm -hmm. Yes, and this article also brings up a really tragic story uh, about a, a woman who was through the surrogacy was going to have triplets. The father, who was really in no place to uh, to be a father, you know, not having a home of his own, did not want triplets. And so he yeah. demanded that she have an abortion of one of the children. But I don't think it was a happy ending to the story, really, is that uh, an attempt to make sure that she could still have custody over these children, but legally it wasn't going to work out. This was a heartbreaking story. Some of you may remember it. We talked about it actually here on Trending. The woman's name was Melissa Cook and the gentleman was Shannon Moore, not a gentleman at all. He lived in the basement of his parents' house, already a very dysfunctional home. And even Shannon Moore, his own sister, after he was already in possession of these children, complained that he should not be caring for these children because he was not caring for them correctly. He put tons of pressure on Melissa Cook to have an abortion when he decided he didn't want the third child. And what's heartbreaking is that Melissa wanted to then keep that third baby. Okay, if you don't want it, let me at least keep it. And she was not allowed to keep that child. I believe that he ended up deciding to keep all three of the babies because the later and later on that this court battle proceeded, I think it became difficult to obtain an abortion for that third baby. But this is the reality of stories. I mean, happening right here in Southern California, happening there in New York, happening in Alabama. It's becoming so commonplace. Some people just don't talk about it because they know people are uncomfortable. But others... I mean, are participating in this. I'll never forget one of the churches I was involved with here in Southern California. I remember there was this beautiful family, very Catholic, and some of the various sisters decided to start using surrogates to have children. Mm -hmm. And they had eight children, six children, five children, and they loved it because their bodies didn't have to change. They didn't have to go through the pregnancy. They didn't have to deal with all of that and, and they, those issues. And they just take the kid, their children, and go to the hospital and pick up their new sibling mm. af- as if it was no big deal. Right, right. And uh, one of the, the most disheartening parts of it is that the language that's even used here in this article is that uh, the, the mother, the surrogate mother, is considered a legal stranger to right. the children. And so there's really you know no legal authority or responsibility for the mother Uh, of the children after she had sacrificed so much. And a woman knows the risk of childbirth far more than any man does. In that sense, even has a a closeness to the risk of death that that many men do not uh, in, in their daily lives in that sense. Again, this misperceived idea of sacrifice for women. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. How far do women have to go until they see that they're being fed this lie? I mean, women are selling away their children. They're selling away their bodies for what? For financial gain. And maybe some of these women are in a serious, serious financial ruin and they need help. I think that that's where we need to continue to look to resources such as Children of the Immaculate Heart, which is an organization in Southern California uh, that is trying to create a home to open up for women who are victims of sex trafficking. 
And it's so important that we look beyond the issue itself to see how can we care for the women who are enduring these issues. Right. So we're not looking just at surrogacy. We're not just looking at abortion, contraception and these things. But what can we do to help the people who are having to make these very difficult decisions? I remember just a couple of weeks ago, I, I preached against abortion during one of my Sunday masses. And uh, one person came up to me after the mass and started telling me, that, uh, you know, how dare I as a man speak against abortion? How would I know what a woman is going through to make that decision? You know, and the discussion took the typical but still no less disturbing turn that um, they're so poor they shouldn't be having children. And I asked, are, are you telling me a, a poor child doesn't deserve to live? And that was pretty much what this person you know, told me afterwards and it was really disturbing to me and, she, and this person said you know you should never ever do that again in church to s say that and I said well I'm not going to be quiet about that because we, we cannot let our discussion about this turn to that the, the poor should be aborted and so we're we're looking at uh, the need to protect life at all stages Timory will be right back send her a tweet at Timory that's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E you're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. I'm back with Father Tim Grumbach. Just before the break, we were talking about how Father Tim recently preached on the topic of abortion and how one of his parishioners came up disagreeing with him. Basically, uh, the argument that's so common that, well, what about the poor people? Poor people essentially shouldn't have to have abortion, shouldn't yeah. be born into poverty. And this is a common argument that I think we should touch on just briefly. There are a lot of people, and we could take this back to the topic of surrogacy that we were just talking about, that they think think that quality of life is a reason to do horrible immoral acts whether it's i'm struggling financially so we think it's suddenly okay to harvest our eggs and that's damaging for us as women in our bodies or to become a surrogate or we think it's okay to literally end a child's life to kill a baby because we think that quality of life uh, will be less than what we determine is satisfactory or acceptable and it seems to be coming from a place of strangely misguided good intentions right of we don't want these children to suffer uh, in poverty because right. there are parts of the world that are you know a poverty we can we can barely even imagine here in the United States and we have some very poor places but then to recognize that poverty and say no children shouldn't be born into that and then to see abortion as a way of somehow protecting these children very misguided but good intentions strangely enough well, when we look at this quality of life argument, one of my perspectives that I've always had is I have seen woman after woman who have come to the abortion clinic and have changed their minds. I have seen women who have come to the crisis pregnancy centers that I've worked with over the years. I worked for five years in a crisis pregnancy center in Southern California, and I saw women's life circumstances change their quality of life change. And so my question is this, are you telling me that we should determine whether or not a child should live or die and whether or not a woman should go through the trauma of an abortion in the aftermath based on circumstances that are changeable? Right. Uh, the women and the men as well, as yeah. I'm seeing that more and more in my ministry is men who are wrestling with the decisions that are made and sometimes feeling like they don't, they're not allowed to have a voice. Right. A friend of mine just asked me as, as a man, how do I tell a woman not to have an abortion? 
And you know, one of the important ways to do that is to you know, begin framing it. This is really not an issue of women's rights. This is an issue of human rights yeah. and understanding that men and women should have voices with equal dignity, with different experiences, no doubt, uh, different voices, but voices that are speaking out for the human rights of the, the child who you know, is not being given any rights. I want to bring this back to the topic of sacrifice that has been the theme throughout today's show. We've been talking about Venerable Fulton Sheen and soon to be blessed and how he talked about how making sacrifices is so commonplace for women. It's such a huge part of who they are that essentially they can almost be looked over. Well, the types of sacrifices women are being told to make or expected to make are what is really breaking their spirits and lowering the quality, not just of women in our culture, but of men, because we know that men will aspire to the women, the quality of the women of the culture. And, you know, there's a reason why so many men are just giving up because we as women are making sacrifices at an altar, not of selflessness, but kind of this misplaced idea of quality of life or whatever it might be. Right. And it goes back to the church's teaching. This was a favorite of John Paul II, that the human person is the only part of creation created for itself and will only come to discover itself through a sincere gift of self. And that that sacrifice takes on a a specific way in a woman's life and a specific way in a man's life. And what a gift it is to reflect on the way that it, it expresses itself in a woman's life through motherhood and the sacrifices that come with that. Again, being an altar, Yet, what kind of sacrifices are being made? And yeah. is, is society convincing women to, um, to let things be taken from them or to become a self-gift? That's the, the dilemma that so many women face. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That is Father Tim Grumbach. Father Tim, as you're talking about this sacrifice, it really just shakes me up as I think about this song that came out at the American Music Awards that was performed. Billie Eilish uh, really performed this song called All Good Girls Go to Hell. She ended up w- winning two of, I believe, like the 10 um, nominations that she was kind of up for. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, Billie Eilish. She is quite a character. She, I think, began to get some popularity around the age of 13, 14, 15, um, as some of her you know, singles were coming out. And she recognized that you know, for her, music was a type of therapy. That, and that's what makes it so disturbing that she's getting more and more popular. Not that it's a bad thing that she's getting popular, but that something that has kind of been a therapy for her is now putting her in front of everyone. And now we're watching her deal with her issues and uh, in a sense, in a culture, we are taking advantage of her emotions and mm-hmm. her feelings and everything like that. And watching her perform, I just watched this one song, uh, watching her perform at the AMAs just the other night, is um, it almost looks like she's been taught to um, express herself as you see so many models and images on billboards and on, on TV shows is the woman looks bored. Like this is something that should be bringing life music, telling a story through music should be bringing life, whether it be joy or whether it be sorrow. And she's just up there singing. And it's almost like she expects like, I'm supposed to look bored doing this. And then she kind of gives this smile at the end of it. Like, oh, that would, you know, that felt good for me. But the whole time she's performing, it's supposed to be like, well, this ain't no thing. This is supposed, I'm supposed to have so utter complete control over my emotions right now that this is not supposed to be bringing me joy. And just listen to the song lyrics, you know, the, all good girls go to hell. She and her brother, her brother apparently is you know, a musician in her band. 
they were both asked about this song and they say, well, yeah, it's supposed to be ambiguous. And so it's hard to look at the lyrics and really understand specifically what she meant. She will say the song is about uh, climate change. It's from the perspective of the devil and looking at how humans have destroyed themselves and that it's kind of a conversation the devil is having with God about you know, why are you trying to save humanity? They're already lost. You know, you're going to want me on your team when they start fighting back. That seems to be what the song's about. Well, you know what's so interesting is they kind of try to make it sound like an ambiguous meaning. You create your own meaning. Well, the devil is utter chaos. He mm-hmm. brings p- people and things into chaos. The devil does not make sense. He tries to manipulate us and God is perfect order. And so we see this song and it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason that songs such as this that are ultimately singing about hell and other songs not only are so catchy, but they're also so chaotic mm-hmm. They're, You know, I think of this one song. It was a queen song that I realized this summer actually says the word of a demon that we hear about in the Old Testament it talks about Beelzebul. And it's so interesting because that part of the song is stuck in my head over and over again. And a couple months later, we were at a baseball game and my husband heard the song and he goes, did they just sing about a demon yeah. essentially? And one of our friends is like, Oh, you know, this guy went through a really tough part of his life. I can't remember the name of the queen song. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm sure it's Bohemian and, Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. And it's talking about it, like this conversion and the torment that he went through. And I said, I don't care what kind of torment he went through. We shouldn't be singing essentially about a demon. And I mean, same thing. There are all these songs about Lucifer and so forth that we glorify the devil in song it brings us into chaos, yet it's so catchy that we just pick it up and sing right along. Yeah, and watching the video of this performance by uh, Billie Eilish, it's uh, incredible just to see the people kind of dancing in the, at their seats, and it's you know such a poppy thing that's happening, yet the whole stage is made to look like it's on fire, um, you know, <laughs> resembling both hell and the 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 fires here in California, and so it's Gosh. kind of a you know, a- ambiguous uh, view of what the fire means. And it's just this pop experience of singing about hell, singing about the devil from the devil's perspective and making the devil look like not such a bad guy, reasonable almost. I mean, that goes back to the garden. That's the serpent talking to Eve, trying to make God seem unreasonable. You know, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden? When God said you could eat from every tree of the garden, just not this one for your good, because I love you and I desire your good. Yet the serpent will twist God's words. And so here we are. You know, uh, there are profound lyrics, uh, hard to understand, but it's an interesting take, almost like a uh, less engaging version of the screw tape letters, trying to take on the voice of the enemy. And yet this, you know, this song is an attempt to make the devil seem reasonable. And that's more frightening than anything that resembles actual worship of the devil, I think. But to kind of wrap this whole show up together, we keep talking about women in this war on women. And then here we see Billie Eilish and she's singing about how all good girls go to hell. Well, what altar are you sacrificing on? We talked about surrogacy. We talked about exploitation. We've talked about, you know, the harm of the Me Too movement from the perspective of various actresses involved in things such as Game of Thrones and how they're expected to just show their nudity. Well, we're guided by our women in this culture and the level of virtue that we stand up to. Is there a reason that men are saying, I'm not even interested in dating anymore Mm -hmm. because the quality of women does not challenge them to aspire to anything. Right. And another aspect of the, of the song is that it refers to God as her. And 
interesting too because you know billy has been quoted as not really believing in god or the devil but if they existed they would have a conversation like this and now being able to make a you know feeling that she's able to make a theological claim such as the femininity in god using the pronouns that were not used in scripture not a part of divine <laughs> revelation but also what's misunderstood is that uh, the masculine pronouns for god tell us something about who god is in his nature is that he is not um, something that receives life from elsewhere, nurtures it and bears it out into the world. He is this utter self gift. And to understand the sexuality in a masculine sense is this pouring out of oneself. And that is what happens in the act of creation is that God is not receiving something from somewhere else and nurturing it within himself to bear it out, but rather he speaks, he makes a gift of himself. And then we can, you know, in that sense, use the masculine terminology that Jesus himself gave to us in prayer. Well, and he's a good father, too, and we remember that. And I think so much of the brokenness in the culture are so many women looking for that strong masculine role model, that father who will protect them, lead them, and guide them. Thanks for being with us here on Trending. You can find Father Tim at Father Tim Grumbach or learn more about him at Radiotrending.com. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit Radiotrending.com. That's Radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 